0: This for my people. This for my people. Yeah, this for my people. This for my people. This for my people. Yeah, for my people. Put the white man, put the white man, put. Put the white man, put the white man, put. Put the white man, put the white man, put. the white man, put the white man, I always had some mystical ideal that if I could become a big black man in the southern city. Or one of prestige or wealth, I could be treated different or maybe I could have powers to open doors. At the time, it's much better now, but at the time in 1958 we couldn't eat in the restaurants in Louisville, we couldn't eat downtown. One day I saw two Africans go in with their robes and their and they couldn't speak English I heard the man say let him in they not Negro let him in they not Negro let him in they're not Negroes Negro. I said something's wrong I can't say it's because I'm black because they're so black and they're blue but they went in Welcome to Real Black Consciousness Forum Podcast this is Big BJ checking in today's conversation we're going to talk about some history We are going to talk about some history, and um, while we are discussing history, we're going to talk about the slave trade, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about the slave trade, and it may be different than what you ever heard before, right, because, um, you know, every time we talk about the history of America, we talk about the American Negro. We talk about how the American Negro was in the Americas prior to the slave trade, right? There was Negroes found in North and South and Central America and the islands prior to the slave trade. Now, on Real Black Consciousness Foreign Podcast, um, we show and prove that the Negro wasn't the only people in the Americas. No, that's not that's not accurate. The red man was here. Who today we call the brown man, he was here. The Eskimo was here. The Negro was here. Not large numbers, but we was here. <laughs> Primarily, we were located in South America, um, in the country today that we call Brazil, in particular, Central America, the islands, and when it comes to North America. We talk about California, the territory that they call Florida at the time. Then we touch on the Carolinas and. And I think maybe like a week or two ago, we talked about Texas, right? You know, we talked about the descriptions of our people and a lot of people, they disagree with what we have to say. But we just read the text. We just read the documents. We don't make them right. If there's a document that's 300 years old. And there was a king in the Americas, his name was Montezuma, right? If a 300-year-old plus document described this king as a Moorish king, and then that Moorish title was, it was done away with, and later he was described as an Indian, we go back to the original text and say, why was he called a Moorish king? If he's just the uh, stereotypical Mexican. It's not us. We didn't make up the books. We just read them. Right? If we read the document that talk about Nunez Balboa. And he's exploring and he's he's connected with the Darien, the Itmus. And he come across Red Indians. And in the presence of these Red Indians, it's Negro Indians. And Balboa's trying to figure like, yo, how do these cats... Because he's thinking that everybody's African. He's like, yo, how did these Negroes get over here? That red inning chief, he didn't say they came from over the Atlantic or whatever they called the Atlantic at that time. Or they got a legacy of coming from Africa or whatever they called that, the black continent at that time. He didn't say that. He said they came from Quercar. We don't say car anymore. We say Panama. He said these Negroes got their own territory. They come from Panama. That blew Nunes Bellboy away. Like, really? So, you know, these are just things that we have a conversation about that we talk about on this platform. But we always wanted to go back and talk about Africa. We wanted to talk about the slave trade. We felt as though it's important because, see, listen. The average American Negro, when he started talking about he's African and he started talking about the slave trade. Primarily, he got this, this viewpoint, his position, his POV. He got it from the public school system. That's number one. They hit him with the 16, 19, 20 some my Africans because our people didn't go back in the literature and it didn't say Africans. It said 20 uh, and some my Negroes. And even before that, it said 20 and some my niggas. We're talking about Jamestown, Virginia. All black folks in the Americas from Africa because we was taught that in the school system, you know, as just like uh, as silly as that may sound. That's the gist of it. We did not get this story from our families. Our big mama's big mama, big mama never gave us these stories. It just never happened. Outside of the school system. When you see an American Negro calling himself African. um. He got that from Roots. It was a guy named Alex Haley. And um, he swaggered the story from a Jew. right? There's a Jew. He made up some story about the whole slave trade. And he had a character. And it, that character was very similar to today. What we call Kunta Kinte. Alex Haley stole that part. If not many others. Out of this book from a Jew now it's ironic that you know he had to pay a settlement and then the judge that said on the trial he said well I can't let this out being that Alex Haley he's talking about uh, Swagger Jack this whole story from a Jew because the most important part of Roots is Kunta Kente you take Kunta Kente out of Roots you don't have Roots (laughs) <laughs> don't make any sense no more. It's like if you have the Amistad, everybody, we sit down and I think Steven Spielberg, he wrote the Amistad. And it's like if you take uh, the let uh C-K out of the Amistad, it, there is no Amistad. So we listen to, you know, we watching, um, you know, we watching Alex Haley do his thing. And, you know, it, it doesn't dawn on us like we really don't know business as American Negroes. So we don't understand um uh, publishing we don't understand royalties we don't understand like we don't understand that because you know if you kind of look back at it you got to think like that roots if we just took the book form not the not the television programming just just like the literature alone if this is an authentic story and this guy sold because he sold like hundreds of thousands of these books and then his show came on, like every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, they had about fifty root series. That shit. <laughs> it's like you know, it like it never ended. It's it just the movie came on and it was part one, part two, part three, part four. And I said, "Damn, you know, you look back on the business. Well, he's like, man, Alex had to be. He should have been the first black billionaire." Then you start looking up the finances? hold on, hold on, hold on. You sold all these thousands of copies of this book and then you you know, what's the royalty check? You should be, your family, family, family should be rich. But maybe that's a different story for a different day. Right? Dig that. Nevertheless, many of us as American Negroes, we get this story from Alex Haley. We watched it. We looked at it it, like it was a true piece of history. And then, you know, we learned that he stole bits and pieces from another writer, right? From a Jew in particular. So we have another history about the African slave trade that was taught to many of us with knowledge itself. And this came from a different source. This came from the messenger himself, right? So that's how we're going we're gonna to speak on it from that POV. And then we're going to take what the messenger taught us about slavery and then we're going to marry that up with what the devil is trying to show us today about slavery. And we're going to see if it makes any sense, if it's going to connect. Because, see, prior to us understanding the slave trade, how the messenger taught us, again, we looked at slavery as black folks like we've seen it on Roots. So the way it was kind of brought to us that it was some African Negroes and there were some wars going on in West Africa. And then they were capturing slaves which is African Negroes, and they were selling them to the devil, whether it was Portuguese or it was English or Spanish or wh- whoever. And then once they sold them to them, they put them on these ships, and then they sailed across because there were no engines. They sailed across the Atlantic, and then when they got to the Atlantic, everybody kind of like just walk off the ship and then just get to the plantation to get to work. We That's kind of like how we bottled the whole thing up. You know, it was a it was forceful. So, you know, oftentimes when I talk about the slave trade, because, you know, to to get down to the nuts and bolts of it, you got to touch the numbers and the numbers, you know, they teaching us, you know, you know, we get a brother. And I always talk about this. W.E.B. Du Bois, he told us there was 100 million advocates involved in the slave trade. We didn't know how to properly put that in context because we couldn't. You know we just listen to numbers we don't know we never really considered how many 100 because we're not really taught to challenge anything in america we're taught to be programmed right this is how this is how you can have you know uh black folks today they will tell you about if you ask them how the world began. they say oh they'll tell you there was two people it was an adam and an eve and then if they you kind of listen to them continue to tell the story they'll tell you a snake can talk <laughs> Snake is talking. He's out there kicking game like a real live snake and talk. Now, he's kind of programmed to kind of see it that way. He can't see it no other way than that. But you know, when you kind of push on him a little bit, you're like, yo, that snake that was talking, like, what kind of snake was that? He thinks it's a real snake, right? But maybe that's a different story for a different day. But I say all that to say this we're not taught to challenge anything, you can just say something. And then the American Negro, in particular, he goes with it. So then they teach us about the slave trade. A hundred million Africans possibly came over on the slave trade. It doesn't make any sense because we know when we talk about transportation, man, you're talking about forcibly removing hundreds of millions of people. That takes that's that's going to take a lot of sophistication to do that. And we're doing this over from the 1500s. So we got 16, 17, 18. So we got a four century period of forcibly removing people and it just nobody never caught on they never moved away they never tried to get out of the area nothing they just stayed there and people just being rounded up and sent across the we never challenged the story we never we never thought about how you have to feed someone to bring them across the Atlantic you know what I'm saying like we never thought about how can you lay down in a wooden ship tied up and chained up you guys are pissing on each other. You're shitting on each other. Women are going through their cycles. Their blood all in the ship. You know, and I, I don't mean to be vulgar, but we're just talking real context. We're talking about human trafficking at this point. So we're like, all of these elements are being mixed up at the bottom of the ship. And then they never tell us how long was the ship ride. You know what I'm saying? Was it four weeks? Was it eight weeks? You know what I'm saying? Was it uh, two or three months? Was it five months? then we don't break down the seasonal aspect of the slave trade either. So I'm like, yo, these people brought these ships through hurricane season? Because if you're from Michigan or you're from New York, you don't know about that. But when you start talking to your southern brothers and sisters down south and they live, you know, in Bama, in Louisiana. And, you know, uh, Florida. On that backside of the Carolinas, they could tell you, no, man, this is hurricane season. You can't do X, Y, Z. See, we don't know that. And then, you know, we don't talk about the aspect of winter because, again, we see the African slave trade from roots. So we looking at this like, yo, they bring it cool to Kente. He's naked. The women is naked. So we like when they hit the dock, how did they get clothing? How did they get like what happened? Like was these slaves prepaid Were they already bought when they got on the ship? Because the way that they teach us is like, yo, um, it was an auction block, right? They, they got these guys from Africa. They brought them to Virginia or New York, you know, any part of the Carolinas. And then they had to sell them to get them an owner. Where were these people at before they got an owner? Nobody knows. We never questioned the story. We're being programmed. But what do you expect? Because many of us as American Negroes, when we talk about the Red Indian, we were programmed to believe that this guy, he got to the Americas because he walked over. It was a blizzard. It was a cold winter. It was so cold, the ice froze. The ice became like dry land. And this guy walked from the tip of Asia across the Bering Strait. He He got into Alaska. He came to Canada and he just started walking down from canada or i should say alaska all the way down to the backside of chile and he populated every land mass in between this is what we're taught so when we see this red man we say oh this is the guy he walked across the Bering Strait. now the natives don't have that in their legacy they don't have that they don't tell it that's what the devil said about them we just believe it it doesn't make any sense that story is just as stupid as the African slave trade story. What a hundred million people came over. But it doesn't matter. Because we regurgitate them both. So much so. It's like this. I'm going to tell you what's really bugged out. If you ask the devil. Like yo. How did the Indian live? Like what happened? Like how did he live? What did he. Like what was life about? He said. Oh well you know. This guy. He, you know. He, he smoked. And he lived in a teepee. <laughs> he lived in a teepee. So every American Negro across the country we just see tp and we see indian right it makes perfect sense until the winter time comes along because you know if you're from michigan these guys is complaining about their dte bill or if you're from the south they complain about that georgia power bill i'm talking about that gas bill you know they complain about the alabama power bill or the florida power or north carolina power whatever for our people complain about these utility bills How that how high the gas bill get or your electric bill get in the wintertime because it's cold. But you in a brick house. But this same, But see, you're cold in a brick house with electricity and heat and water. But this same devil came and told you these folks live through these cold winters just like you, you know, lived amongst these uh, uh, all these hurricanes and all of this. And you trying to keep warm and stay protected. In the concrete, but they did it in the teepee. <laughs> did he come back and tell you, listen, the same people that withstood all these different weather challenges when it walked across the Bering Strait, right? They had to learn what foods they eat as far as animals is concerned, what animals they couldn't eat. They had to learn, you know, what vegetation they could eat, what vegetation they couldn't eat. They're going through all these trials and errors. You know what I'm saying? They live in TPS, so they just, they very acclimated with the, what nothing can kill these people. They got the craziest immune system possible, because you just got to see must they, they got to. But then all of a sudden, everybody die, die off with smallpox. Now it don't make any sense. Everybody died of smallpox? How? This guy beat everything. He beat all the weathers, all the elements. He came into a whole new landmass. It was totally empty. He had to do everything in the water, on top of the land, the food, the trees, the bushes, he had to learn everything. And then he conquered all of that. He had this whole territory from North America to South America by himself. And then some strangers pop up and they kill him in less than two, 300 years years—the smallpox. That don't even make any sense. But maybe that's a different story for a different day. Right? Maybe that is as well. We're just going to talk about the African slave trade today. And we're going to talk about it from the viewpoint that we got from the messenger. And we're going to see if it's going to ring some bells and does it make more sense to you. Right, that we put it in this type of context outside of the way you was already taught. Okay. So we're gonna try that. Today's source that we're gonna be using is um the Black Nation under Siege, and this was written by Dr. Abdul Muhammad. Right? And we're just gonna go right down to the um let me click over. We're gonna go down to page page six, right? And we're going to start off at the first paragraph that we can see. And it says the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, this is who we call the messenger, says that when the English sea captain, Sir John Hawkins, this devil, came into our territory, which he's talking about at this time as being Africa, he became a Muslim and pretended to be our friend. He won the confidence of some of our people because he was flying the sun, the moon, the stars, the universal flag of Islam, representing freedom, justice and equality. Right. So, they were not afraid to get on his ship. They, meaning the original people, the Africans, which was called the good ship Jesus. He promised, watch this, more gold for their labor than they were able to earn in their own country. But the Honorable Elijah Muhammad says that when John Hawkins got out of sight of land, he poured down the sun, the moon, and the stars and put up the skull and crossbones. That was the first time that our people knew they were being deceived. But they were so far from sure they could not swim back home. And he continues to go into the story a little deeper. But We're going to stop there, right? Because you got the source. We want you guys to be able to read it on your own time. The way that we were taught how the slave trade went is this, right? And you could take this piece that uh, our brother Muhammad wrote here. And then there are other pieces that we talk about, you know, I'm talking about lost founds. And this is how we interpret it all on Real Black Content Is Form Podcast. This is how we put it together, right? Whether you agree or disagree, I'm interested in see how you guys put it together, but this is how we put it together on this platform, right? The way that the messenger taught us is like so. Again, when the trader came to West Africa. There were four traders, right? Four groups of devils, and that's the occupation. The title I'm going to use is trader, right? Slave trader. He's a trader. You got the English devil. You got the Portuguese devil. You got the Spanish devil, and you got the French devil, right? When it came into West Africa, they didn't come as a brute. They came as a friend. They came as traders. They had business opportunities, right? America have always been labeled the land of opportunity. That's not a new thing. They have always been dubbed that way, right? Well, these four devils came into West Africa, and Central Africa, East Africa, they went to India. They went all over the place, right? They went to the darker peoples of the world. The first thing they did was meet with the chiefs. Over a certain territory, it's like, yo. When they talk to the chiefs, and they they brought the chief gifts, uh, primarily guns and liquor. So as you know, when you kind of go deeper, you see it's not really a slave trade; it's like a gun trade. But maybe that's a different story for a different day. We're just talking about human trafficking at this point, right? Okay, so now you know we have the devil in West Africa, and of course. All other parts, we're going to talk about West Africa, and we, like we said earlier, he met with the chiefs. He bought them cheap gifts from Europe, and the only thing that this devil wanted was he wanted to, you know, he wanted to speak to the people through an interpreter, right? So he brings his chief to earn his trust again, guns and liquor, and then the chief will allow him to talk to his citizens of his tribe, right? When the devil spoke to these West African brothers and sisters, he told them, listen, he gave them a business opportunity. He said, yo, you can make more gold in a foreign land than your own land. Right. Of course, it was a lie. But this is how we call the first wave of Africans came to the Americas. It was no slavery. This is by choice. It wasn't by force. So there's three different waves, actually. Right. When the trader got to the shores, he sold him a drink. But when he got to the shores, you had him bringing, again, guns, cheap whiskey, and a bunch of other commodities to earn the trust of these African chiefs first. He spoke to their citizens, and he told the citizens, listen, we're we coming back to pick you guys up, but we got to get a head count. We... we there's an opportunity in America where you can make more gold in this foreign land than your own land. And all we need, of course, to sign up is men, women and kids. That's all we need. And then you could come over here and you can work and you can make money. You can make gold. You can make a good living because America is a land of opportunity. Right. All right. That's the first wave. The second wave became. that. In order to continue to get these commodities from these devils, there was a small remnant that was captured. That can be broke down in Cujo Lewis' story, um, "Black Cargo," which we have on the platform. If you go through, if you go through the archives, you'll see the "Black Cargo." Well, Cujo Lewis is telling the story about how he, um, he came over to the Americans, but they was in chains because they was in debt. They was debtors. You know what I'm saying? On the back side, we talking about wave number two, right? We we talked about wave number one was technology, of course. Now you have wave number two. Wave number two is that anytime that you can have a particular chief take over a territory, he would in turn impose taxes on the smaller chiefs and tribes that was around him. You know, I need this, I need that. This is the detect. Some of them chiefs would tell the big boy chief that's trying to put the due tax on a man, you can go kiss my ass. That will cause a small war. Many of those that was captured, they was captured because they did not want to pay the taxation. Now you are a debtor. And if you were a debtor, of course, you, you jailed up. You in chains, you got the chains on your wrist, you got the chains on your foot. And when the Portuguese came back or the French came back, you went with, hey, yo, we getting rid of him as a form because he didn't want to pay the debt these lawless and reckless people are out of here we're talking about these africans still now that's the part that we get taught when we see our people with the chains on and all we think everybody was like that because that's how they teach you in america everybody came over here on a slave ship with chains on that didn't happen the messenger never taught us that no 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 they came over there willingly you can't get You can't get this amount of people to come over here. Everybody forcibly. It doesn't work that way. But that's the first wave. That's the second wave. Now the third wave is the black market. These chiefs are enriching themselves by allowing these traders to come and speak to their people. And every time the traders come, he have more and more gifts for these chiefs. So he continued to let this guy for lack of a better term, he rocking these seminars and he got these people signing up, signing up, signing up. These Africans, they're getting on these ships and then they're leaving. Well, if you on the back and you trying to come up, you want to get commodities. You want to be able to get guns. You want to be able to get this cheap rum and whiskey. You start to capture people on your own. You become a renegade and then you sell them to the Portuguese for the same thing that the chiefs was getting. Just for allowing him to speak to his people through an interpreter, that's the three waves right We're not taught the three waves in the wilderness of North America. What we're taught is you got down on a slave ship with chains on that's what you were taught right now let's let's bring it back for a circle right because I want to be able to say this to a way that our people truly understand. If you kind of watch the devil, he doesn't really change a lot. Um, Big Mama would have a saying. Big Mama would say, "How she would say she say, uh the players may change, but the game remains the same.' This is a, a saying that Big Mama and Granddaddy used to say down south, right? Dig that. But you got to examine that quote. The players may change, but the game remains the same. Today, we don't. Use the term trader. We don't use the term slave trader. Today in America, we use a different term. We call it a recruiter, right? We see these companies with a small, medium sized, or the Fortune 500 companies. The face of these companies to get their human resources up, right, as far as the personnel, is recruiters, right? So, a couple hundred years ago, we would call them traitors. Now, we don't. again, we don't call them traitors. We call these people recruiters, right? And I'm going to give you an example. You know, if you have a, a family member or maybe you yourself that ever spent some time on a military plantation in America, United States today, Air Force, Marine plantation, Navy plantation, uh, Army plantation, Coast Guard plantation, how did you get there? You didn't you didn't just ride by the base and say, Oh man, look, man, they got them cold vines on, daddy. Yo, look, Jack, I want to get me a uniform and I'ma just walk up to the gate and say, hey man, why something? <laughs> Y'all know that shit don't work that way. How did they get you on that military plantation? A recruiter got you there. A recruiter came up, he sold you a dream. Hey man, we can get you we can get you money for college and we can get you good housing and we can put you in a mansion and we can do this. You know, we'll get you three or four Mercedes Benzes. All you got to do is sign up and we'll give you a bonus for 200 K. If you sign up for a six year enlistment. And then once you sign up for that six year enlistment, you know what I'm saying? You go through basic training and you figure out later that there is no five or six Mercedes Benzes. There is no mansions there. And you say, well, wait a minute. Hey, the recruiter told me that I'm going to get X, Y and Z. And, you know, when I sign up and then the first thing that your sergeant tell you or anybody in the unit tell you, hey, listen. That recruiter job is just to get you here. He don't have no power. He don't run nothing here. This recruiter's job or this trader's job is just to get you to the job site, just to get you to the plantation. He has no power. When that trader, three hundred years ago, four hundred years ago, when he came to West Africa, his job was just to get you to the job site. Once he got you to that plantation in Virginia or the Carolinas or Alabama or Tennessee, wherever, his job was over with. Once you got there, you fell underneath a slave code. Right? A code was already in place when you got there. You too far away from home to turn back around and go now. You you ain't an advocate no more. So now when we talk about black indigenous, what we're teaching our people is this when you're new to a job. When you're brand new, when you, because many of us, come on, we, we're in the workforce now. When you get to that job, did you figure that job out yourself? Of course you didn't. There were already people there that showed you what to do when you got there. When the African came to pick the cotton, it was already Negroes there to show him how to work that. If you're from up north and you never touch cotton before, you, you never get it. Right. When you go down south and you see those large cotton fields in Florida and Georgia and Alabama, and Louisiana, when you you know, you just can't go put your hand and, and just pull it. It doesn't work. It'll cut your fingers up. It'll prick your fingers up. You have to do like a touch, twist and pull method to get the cotton off the branch. You just can't come off a slave ship and somebody you just know that somebody has to show you that. What we teach in our people was somebody was already here to show you that when you got off the ship, because now you're at the job site. The plantation is a job site. Right. But maybe that's a different story for different things. So, right, so let's go back to this transportation aspect. Right. That devil, again, the trader, as we call centuries ago today, he's the recruiter. So, you know, you got many of your family members. Maybe they didn't go to the military plantation, right? Maybe they went to, maybe they're truck drivers. Maybe they're forklift operators, right? You know what I'm saying? Maybe they're, um, you know, they work for some staffing firm somewhere. They get to that job site through a recruiter, through a AKA trader, right? You know, you know, you got your, um, you know, you got your uncles and your granddad or your fathers or, or these days and times, a lot of women, they in transportation. Many times they get connected to these transportation companies through a recruiter. And, of course, he tell them, hey, man, you're going to go over the road and, you know, we're going to get you back home every weekend. You know what I'm saying? Just sign up. How much I'm going to make, man? You're going to make $20 a mile. You know what I'm saying? Just uh, <laughs> we're going to take care of you over here. Daddy, yo, $20 a mile, man, you'll be rich and we're going to get you back home every weekend. What? Just sign up here. Then what? You get in, you go to that company, you pass that driving test, you get a dispatcher, you're in New York City or you're in Cleveland or you're Detroit, and the first thing you do, he you dispatch your first load, you're going to California, baby, go ahead, go make the money. And you drive it all around the country, and then you get that first check, and you say, hey, wait a minute, this I didn't drove 2,000 miles, I supposed to got uh, $20 a mile. And you call up your call. Hey, hey, my check is wrong. You say, man, what's up, baby? What's going on with your check? Hey, man, the recruiter told me, um, I'm going to make $20 a mile. And the first thing the bossman said, you idiot. Nobody in truck can make $20 a mile. No, we don't. Tw- We're paying you $0.25 cent a mile. <laughs> Did he say, Ain't nothing wrong with your check. Your check is right. But the recruiter said, but the recruiter said, hey, daddy, yo, that recruiter don't run nothing over here. He don't run nothing of it. We run. He just got you here. Now you're here. Do you got any other questions, sir? Because no, we ain't going to give you no $20 a month. It's off. Well, yeah, I got another question. Well, what you got, sir? What you got? Well, I was told I was going to get home every weekend. And I'm from Detroit. Well, from Cleveland. Well, from Cincinnati. And, man, I'm stuck over here in Laredo, Texas, man. It's Friday. It's 6 o'clock. There's no way I'm going to be able to get home in time to be home for the weekend. The recruiter promised me i get home. Hey, listen, man, we don't care. <laughs> I think you see where I'm going. <laughs> Yo, the people that y'all call traders yesterday is called the recruiters today. So we're just saying this to your family. Everybody that came from Africa didn't come here on no chains. You know. We can't continue to just teach our babies these stories that doesn't make any sense. Um, there's no way that you can have a, a legal human trafficking ring that lasts for four centuries. And it was forcibly done. Right. So the messenger teaches is about technology. This guy, this devil, he's just a trickster. He don't have to do anything by force. He can just trick you into doing it. He can make you think, you know, you know, we've been around this devil long enough to know that you would do things that you think you're willingly doing, but he's tricking you into doing it. He don't have to. He's not putting everybody on no chains on no ship. That don't even make no sense, man. That Come on, man. We got to You serious. Hey, yo, uh, look at it this way. Right. I- I'm gonna give you guys another example. Right. Check this out. The closest thing that I can think of as far as deception is concerned manipulation is concerned um when you're dealing with this devil as uh, let's say the world of prostitution right Let, let's just say the world of prostitution um i can't really think of anything I'm, I'm trying to think of something a little bit more wicked than that that's um but i i can't right off the top of my head i can't think of another institution that's ran off manipulation more than hoeing and prostitution let me see i'm gonna i want to say the maybe the record industry Well, no let's let's go we're gonna stay there we're gonna talk about prostitution we're gonna go with the oldest known profession prostitution cannot exist without manipulation but this manipulation have to have participation and it got to be free will participation right you can't have hoes home for centuries on top of centuries on top of nobody's, you know, it's just manipulation, right? Okay, now, now watch this, right? I can almost make an argument if we wanted to that prostitution, that institution is older than slavery institution in itself. If we did a comparison thing, right? But let's just say this, right? Because since we have, we're going to compare two wicked industries. Um, slavery right let's talk about that you cannot get hundreds of thousands of people to go from one side of the planet through the transportation of a ship to get on the other side of the planet without participation the bulk of that has to be participation we see there's some negroes with chains and all that shit on, but it, it cannot work for four centuries unless you have the bulk of the people being transported through participation. Voluntarily participating. You can't have the world's oldest profession of hoeing without there being some participation. Now, watch this. If you kind of look at the news recently, you will see that there's a lot of women being involved and wrapped up in human trafficking outside of the wheel. They're being called. They're being caged, tied up, and they're being transported, not only like nationally, internationally. They move these women all around the world for the purposes of sex, of prostitution. Now, if some writer came along and he started talking about sex workers, right? You can get some writers to come. They can make it look like 100 years from now that every woman that was a sex worker was involved. She was once captured, brought out her will. And then she was made to get on those corners and sell her body. She was made to get on these Internet websites and pornography and sell her body. She was made to be a sex worker and a stripper in these gentlemen clubs to sell their body and show their body. You can paint that picture 100 years from now. But when you live in a real time, you know that there is manipulation. There is wickedness. There are people that's being kidnapped in the in the institution of prostitution. And they're being sent around the world. But we know, no, 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 that industry does not work without some women voluntarily selling their body, voluntarily getting into porn, voluntarily hitting that strip pole, voluntarily, you know, making up these websites and selling. It doesn't work unless it's somebody got to voluntarily do some of this shit. There's some capture. We with that. I understand that. But this whole thing ain't gonna work unless somebody's voluntarily doing this as well that's the part of the African slave trade family they're not teaching us they didn't teach you that they just showed you the chains they that's all they did they didn't show you no 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 the bulk of these people voluntarily got on this ship that's why it works the way it works but they also don't tell you when they got off that ship Somebody that had to already be there on the plantation to teach them how to work the plantation they wasn't the first people that was there. When you look and you see who taught them how to work the plantation, there were Indians. The Indians is on those plantations before you already got there. That was a subject I was going to talk about today, but see, I don't want to confuse people because the document that I was going to use to talk about. Indian slavery was going to show you that the bulk of the indian slave women worked in the fields on the plantation and then the Africans came over and was on the plantations with them i ain't talking about 1500s i'm talking about 1700 1750 to 1800s now if i just we just went back and looked and researched and just took a good look at all the women that we always seen on these plantations in the carolinas because i was going to base the conversation off the carolinas they don't look like I, I, i'm not going to even go down that road maybe that's a different story for a different day right we just I'm well, just saying like yo you know let me why well, i say this i will say this we're taught about slavery in america how many of us really was taught that the indian was there how many of us like was we was really taught that? See, when I was going to talk about South Carolina and we're going to have that conversation shortly, there was something called the stone rebellion. And I was going to uh, highlight a couple of points because the stone rebellion, if you research it, it's like. It was some African slaves. They was from the Congo. They start killing devils and tearing shit up. And then ultimately they were going to uh, go down to Florida. Right. So I was going to kind of get on the conversation of. If these was a bunch of Africans that told some shit up, why did they call it the Stono Rebellion? Because when you really know history, you know that the Westos. Which is a group of Indians and the Stono's were Indians and they lived around the same territory in the Carolinas. Why would you name. Africans revolting and call that the Stoner Rebellion when you know that's like saying the Cherokee Rebellion, in other words, oh, the Cherokee Rebellion or the Choctaw Rebellion, and you're like, yo, but these are Indian tribes, but why would you call the Cherokee Rebellion and it was a bunch of Filipinos tearing shit up? You say, well, that's just the African Rebellion that happened in the Carolinas, or that was just the Filipino. Rebellion that happened in the Carolinas, we wouldn't call that the. You see what I'm saying? I hope it makes sense to you. Why would you call that the Stoner Rebellion when the Indian tribe was named Stoner? And then, why would you take out of history that there was a there was a part in time in Carolina in the 1700s where there were, I think it was like, uh, I want to say it was like. 4,000 plus slaves on the books, right? 2,900 of them was African or Negro. And then the other 1,400 was Indian. And they're living, you know, they're working and living in the same plantation quarters, the same territories, the same everything. Like, how does that work? And what, you don't hear Indians talk about that. You don't hear nobody talk about that to be real but that's a different story for a different day because we just going to talk about transportation but that's the conversation i wanted to get on but i couldn't get on it and i said you know what let, let me talk about the slave trade first so we can bring some clarity to what was going on right and i want to show you guys something and i, I hope this makes sense right i want to show you guys something i hope this makes sense Th- there's a website right it's called slave And they have these, uh, they got these databases of the slavery and things that happened. And then they have the name of ships, right? Slave ships that left from Africa that came to the Americas, right? So dig that. They got the record of that. Uh, They got where the ship left from. And they have where the ship landed. Okay, okay. That's pretty standard. But I won't to show you something else i want to bring your attention to something else if you look in the far left column you will see the names of the africans that got on the ship now just i want you to i want you to walk with me now right we're talking about the names of africans that got on the ship his suspected age They had his height. They had where he came from and where he was sent to. Okay. Before I before I go down that, before I ask you guys a question, I want to say this. There gotta be paperwork all over the place for this African slave trade thing. Because it just shipped it gotta be paperwork all over the place. They got paperwork of who getting on the ship. And then when you get to the Americas, somebody sold or bought somebody else. So there's paperwork all over the place. Not only that, um, plantation owners had to keep inventory of the slaves that they had on their plantation because they had to be paid. Taxes had to be paid on all property. I don't care if you had cows. I don't care if you had a bunch of chickens. I don't care if you had a bunch of people from the Ashantis or some Ebos on your plantation or you had some Choctaws or some Cherokees on your plantation. You had to pay taxes on everybody as the slave owner. They had to keep a record on that. Now, we talked about this earlier. You know, the players change, but the game remains the same. If you ever bought a vehicle and you had to go get the paperwork on it from the DMV, they didn't just... Create that system from like how you you, you had to take your title down there and this and that. And you had to uh, nowadays you got to go get your vehicle insured. It's a VIN number and all this. They did the same thing. These owners had to do the same thing to the property that they own, a.k.a. slaves back in the day. That's where that comes from. That's how they they just switched it over. It's the same system. So so once you go back and you find like I did. The plantation your family came from and then you look at the owners how he record because he recorded the people on his plantation if they was african he would say he would write down that he were african he put the tribe that they was from but then if they was indian he'll write that down too what you're going to start noticing is that damn when you start looking back and you start looking at your great-great-grandfather he he wasn't listed as no yoruba he wasn't they put some other tribes names down there and you go look up your own folks and you see what it is and then you say, damn, when, why is he listed as a... And then you start to... Everything, it will eventually make more sense. But let's come back to Slave Voyages for now. Come back to Slave Voyages. I want you to really, really think about everything we were taught about slavery. Think about it. You were captured. You were kidnapped. They brought you on the ship. And then they sold you, Right? Why would slave voyages have names of Africans that's getting on a ship, but you were just kidnapped, though, right? Why would I have if you didn't voluntarily sign up to get on the ship? Why would I have your name here? I can't even speak your language. I can just call you slave one, slave two, slave three, slave four. I don't know you. If me right now, I got a bunch of my partners from Detroit and I went to. Russia, we're gonna go kidnap some goddamn people. You think I got time to say, okay, this is John, all right, right, get John. This is Sarah, okay, we got Sarah. This is Bogastov, right? This is Ugastoff. You think I got time to do some shit like that? Cause the way they taught us about slavery now, they going these folk gonna put you on the block. They are gonna rename you and everything, right? Alex Haley said he they beat the name out of uh, <laughs> Alex, Alex. Say they put Kunta up with, and he keep they kept whooping his ass, and he said, oh no, my name is Toby now. 'Cause they, they changed the name, right? But if but just think about it, just use common sense. If I'm kidnapping you, what, what the what the hell I need your name for? Who cares? But if I came and talked to your chief, if I came and talked to your chief, and I gave him some whiskey and some rum and some shit like that, and I did a trade with him, and then I came back later and he had the and people was already signed up to get on the ship, now I would have your name now. Does that make sense? Because maybe I'm, it, what's up now? To me, when when I first seen, listen, when you start looking at history in this African slave state, when you start looking at the story, all this shit that they're telling you, it never dawned on to me, why would I have, na- I just always seen names on the manifest. And I'm like, oh, okay, there's just names on the manifest, right? All right, all right, all right. When the messenger teach you, no, man, some of these kids, no, no, it didn't happen like that. You was tricked on that ship through a process of technology. Nobody strong armed you to get there. You was tricked on there. Then you start to learn about transportation on a larger level. Now it makes more sense how you can make it on that ship from two, three or four months to get because you came willingly you see cuz they kind of shows you movies where you was missing Africa and you I I miss and I'm, you jumping off and you the sharks and shit is out there and you said man you know um uh, you know uh, uh, death is better than slavery that's how they taught us okay what the hell were you why we got names on the manifest for like what what good is your name now it doesn't make sense if you put it the way they told us the story it only makes sense to have my name if I voluntarily I'm going to go somewhere I'm gonna leave you with this beloved you can't have a fourth century slave trade without some participation in it even if it is deception it's you can't you're not going to be able to forcibly remove people for 400 years that doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense listen the um players change, but the game remains the same America, listen to me folks. America never had to beg nobody to come here and work. Centuries ago, the trader or the recruiter told black and brown people around the world that they'll make more gold in a foreign land than in own land, which is America. You know what the devil tell him now? You'll make more money in America, which is a foreign land, when he go to Korea. And he go to Arabia and he go to Indonesia and he go to the Philippines and he go to Russia and he go to Japan and he go to certain parts of Africa. He talked to Nigerian brothers and our Kenyan brothers. What do we tell him? He ain't saying, get your black ass down at the bottom of a boat or we're going to put you on a plane and we're going to we going we to fly you over here to forcibly make you work in America. He said, man, well, you're going to make more money in America than you do in your own land. So now they're fighting to get to America to work for America, to build up the country. You think he just came up with that technique just recently, man? You think the devil just oh, I'm gonna make it just gonna be a little easier? No, he always gonna do it. He's gonna always do it the easier way. He's the biggest liar on the planet. He ain't got the he ain't got the chain. <laughs> he ain't got to chain, chain everybody goddamn up to make y'all do nothing. He ain't got to chain everybody up. Man, y'all gonna run over here to come over here. Hey, look, man, yo, I'm going to tell you some crazy bugged out shit. They teach us that these Africans came over here and they worked and they worked and they worked and they they got their ass whooping all this and all this. But you know what? That devil, the part they're going to leave out of history. You know how you have, you got to keep this system going. Promotion. Slavery worked in America because of promotion. That's why slavery worked. Hey, man, you can work so, uh, Mubutu, you can work so hard on this plantation, brother, we're going to get your own shit after. Eventually, we're going to get your own plantation and your own people. Eventually. That, that'll get, how, how hard you think a whip is going to make somebody work? Yeah, I'm going to work. You hit me with that whip, I'm going to work, but man, first time I get you, I'm going to cut your throat. I'm going to go up in that house, I'm going to kill everybody. First chance I get, I'm gonna kill everybody. But if you say, VJ, boy, you can get a big house like mine. You can get you some slaves like mine. And then I see other slaves coming up, getting people. I'm say, shit, I'm gonna wait around. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna go ahead and play this thing on out. If you whooping me every five minutes, I'm gonna cut your throat. Look, look, look. I ain't finna sell nobody no happy slave story, but I'ma tell you this. Go back and research the Civil War. Just do that for your brother VJ. Because see, everybody didn't handle no, everybody didn't handle no big plantation now. You know what I'm saying? Listen, certain states in the Confederates had a rule. If you had uh, less than 21 slaves on your plantation, Right, and they did that. They knew who had what based on the inventory. If you had less than twenty-one slaves on your plantation, you can be drafted to go to the war, to the Civil War, the Civilized War, where the, the two devils killed each other to see who's going to control the blacks. So, when you talk about the Civilized War, for the Civil War, that's how some plantation owners got out the war because they're like, "Man, I got, I got thirty slaves. I, I can't do it. You know what I'm saying? I'm exempt, but." mississippi all the southeast because i'm gonna say mississippi tennessee georgia but i ain't got to go down the line all the southeast those smaller plantation owners they had to go to the war they were drafted they got 15 slaves 16 that's not enough okay so now let's do the math who ran the plantation when the man is gone the missus ran it the madams now if this cat was whooping my ass and i ain't got no promise Life is like hell. I don't know no better. They got the whipping everything for me. When the when everybody went off and went to the Civil War, that means I should have just jumped up, killed this <laughs> one. If all if all my people were just getting raped out here, I'm looking at your woman now. Just straight up, like shit, you left her behind, she's in big trouble. She wasn't in trouble. Why she was cause. They ran these plantations off technology, man. They didn't just strong-arm everybody to get their ass Ain't nobody strong-arming you to go to work. Y'all black ass going to get up and go to work Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday. Ain't nobody strong-arming you to do that. Somebody promised you a promotion somewhere, some money somewhere. Somebody promised you some type of dream, some type of vision, and that is enough to keep your black ass going. That's not new. They have always done that in this country. Man, y'all better wake up and smell the coffee. (laughs) Beloved, when our brother Kanye came out and said that you was a slave by choice. Beloved, this is what the brother was talking about. And a lot of our people know more than what you think that they know. Peace and black power to your family. Thank you guys for hanging out, man. Thank you guys for listening, man. Real Black Content is a Podcast, man. Big VJ, man. We talking history. I get it with you guys later. Peace.